the Evans family took off about a year ago. Was it, what month was it? July. Took off a year ago, and I made them an, an illustration in my message this morning, and I asked Danny just kind of on the fly this morning, is that okay? And uh, he said, yeah, I don't know what you said. I don't know if you said it was okay or not, but it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter. It's on the paper. Danny and Sue, Danny's been a pastor. For some of you that are new, Danny's been a pastor at Windsor Community Church for a number of years. And Sue and him led the youth group for a number of years, and we've seen Maddie grow up from a snot-nosed kid to a beautiful young lady. And then there's Andy and Ella. And I remember sitting at a forum with Danny and Chris Richards and some other guys. It was called FLN. It was a focused leadership network, I believe. And the purpose of it was to try to understand the way the Lord has made you and what he's called you to, understanding your giftedness. And what it did for a lot of us is it kind of gave us the freedom to take some risks with our life. And Danny was right at the front of that line. I remember... uh, him and Sue dialoguing for a couple weeks. I think they might have slept in separate bedrooms for a week or two. Just dialoguing through this whole thing. And it came obvious to the two of them that this was the Lord calling them to New Zealand. That it's something that Danny had dreamed about all his life. And the Lord was calling them to New Zealand. And I don't know if you could uh, explain why. Could you? But the, the Lord was, was, was taking them over there, and they went in obedience. They rented their house out here. Everything that they love is in Colorado. Their family, both sets of parents, the mountains, they're very outdoorsy, swimming, church family. But God told them to go. And in obedience, there is cost and there's blessing. And I believe there was, uh, I have not talked to Danny and Sue since they've been back. And I can't wait to hear the stories, but I know there's been a cost. But I also know that there's been huge blessings, right? There's been a cost and blessings. And that's usually how the Lord works. When, when He tells us to do something, usually there's some kind of a cost involved. And typically, or really always, there's a blessing on the other side of it. it may not be the blessing that we were looking for, but there was a blessing. And my son Mitch is, I just asked for his permission this morning as well as we were singing. But I didn't really hear what you said either. And it doesn't matter. I did hear what you said. Mitch is going to be a senior in college. He goes to Colorado Christian University. He's, and he's had three years there. And he went there because he wanted to get a college education. He was thinking he wanted to go to a, a Christian college, but he wasn't really sure. But what the, the final, didn't really want to, the, kind of the final nail in the coffin was soccer that he had talked to a lot of different coaches, but this team wanted him to play soccer. And he knew that it was going to be tough because they hadn't won a game in a couple of years when when he joined there. It was so obvious, though, when we were looking at it, Mitch, that God was telling you to go to CCU, wasn't he? It was obvious. And Mitch obeyed and went, and it wasn't without cost. And the cost was is is another three years of losing at soccer. The blessing has been that has been so obvious in that he's grown as a leader. He's grown in his perseverance. He understands that his only hope can be in Jesus, not in our jobs, not in, in victories in soccer. He has got more friends than Carter has pills. That's been a blessing. And as some of you remember Orly, my friend Orly, our friend Orly. Uh, we baptized him back in the early days, 2002, 2003, something like that. 
And Orly was married at a young age and had three daughters and was not walking with the Lord. Got divorced, did some things he shouldn't have done. And then in his 40s, the Lord saved him. And it was a radical transformation if you know this guy. I love Orly. After he got saved, he said, you know what, Danny, he was reading 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I'm not called to be single. I want a lady to share my life with. I want somebody that I can pray with, somebody I can dream with, somebody I can go on mission trips with. He has a, a real love for missions and particularly for Latino people. And finally, the Lord brought a lady to him two years ago. And he, there was a cost in this marriage. The cost was that he would have to leave Colorado because she lived in Pittsburgh. He's born and raised here. He'd have to sell his business, sell his house, and pretty much everything he owned, and go to Pittsburgh where he knows nobody. That was a cost. And oftentimes, when the Lord calls us to something, it doesn't always work out the way that we had planned, does it? And for Orly, it ended in disaster. Orly's in the middle of a divorce. This lady has divorced him. She turned out to not be what she said she was. Orly is pursuing her until the day that ink's dry and the court says it's done. He's standing in Pittsburgh. He says, I'm not going to give up on you. He says, the Lord told me to marry you, and I'm not going to let you divorce me. So Orly was obedient to the Lord. The Lord told him to marry this gal. There was costs associated with it, and there were trials that came from it. Back in the 1980s, when the Lord was pulling me back in after wandering for, for about 12 years, I went to a church called Greenwood Community Church. Nancy and I were talking about this this morning. And a friend invited me to a Bible study there. And these different men were given their testimonies. And every one of these men said, you know what? I'm following Jesus. I lost my business. I'm following Jesus. My wife left me. I'm following Jesus. My child has cancer. And I went home and I went, I don't want this. I don't want this. You know, I mean, I, I want all the benefits of being a Christian. But I don't want the garbage. I remember, and Nancy remembered that as well. It's like I, I just physically, verbally talking about it. And when Nancy and I picked up and moved from Denver in 1993, we knew there was going to be a cost. I was eight years into a successful career. It was in Denver, but I knew I had to run from the things that were infecting our lives. The sin that we were involved in, mostly me, we had to run from that. But there was a cost in the obedience. The Lord was telling us to move to Fort Collins. The cost was me commuting every day. The cost was leaving my family, my six brothers and sisters, and my parents down in Denver. The blessing was that Nancy and all three of my kids got saved. There's always cost with obedience. There's not always trials with obedience. Sometimes there is. But there's always cost with obedience. And then there's always blessing. You know what I'm talking about? I've got fears. Even today, I'll just, I'll just acknowledge it to you. You know, here I am, you know, 51 years old. That sounds weird. 51 years old. Thank you. It's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> and I've got fears where I really do want all the blessings. I remember, I pray oftentimes, Lord, spin me any way you see fit. Invest me. Use me up. Then I'll say, God, would you please, but not this, not my kids, not my wife. Can you relate with that? If I listen and obey, 
Will God protect me? Will he protect my loved ones? Will he protect the comforts I enjoy? I don't think there's a one-to-one correlation between obedience and the type of protection that we want. You might be in the same boat asking these questions. Is there risk in obedience? God is a loving God. Surely he wouldn't ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Something where I could lose my finances, my reputation, or even my life? Would God call me to do that? Certainly that's not obedience. Doesn't he say that he'll give me the desires of my heart? What if the desires of my heart isn't to go to Afghanistan? Or isn't to quit my job? That, by the way, that's the most butchered scripture in all of the Bible. It says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What if I fail? What if God tells me to do something and I fail? What if it doesn't work out? There's a lot of risk. I'm kind of comfortable right now. I'm kind of comfortable right now. Church pays me well. I enjoy my job. I feel called to this. I love being close to Mitch and Natalie and Jared. But what if he were to call me to something different? Would I be, would I even be willing to listen? Would I be walking close enough to listen? What's he calling you to? God has something to say about this today in our passage. If you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to go over some of the verses we did last week. And for those of you that have been in and out for the summer or you're new with us, we're teaching through the book of Genesis. And we're in chapter 6. We started chapter 6 two weeks ago. And just a little bit of a recap. What's going on there is that is the depravity of man is what's going on. That God looked down on the earth, and what he saw was that every thought and intention of man's heart was continually wicked, continually evil. And he said that he was going to blot man off the face of the earth. He was going to wipe him out. He said he was going to do that in 120 years. And what we learn by that is that God is holy, and God is just, and he cannot tolerate sin. Not to be irreverent, but it's the best example I could come up with. It's like Popeye, that he can stand so much, but he can't stand no more. And there's a line that he draws in the sand that says, enough is enough. And this was that when he said that he was going to blot man off the face of the earth, it was judgment and it was also mercy because he gave them 120 years to turn their act around. And turning their act around wasn't mere um, looking good on the outside. It was, it was complete surrender to the living God. Then we saw that Noah, and by the way, I said this last week, I'll say it again. If I say Moses, just shake your head like you know what I'm talking about. It's Noah that I'm talking about. Every once in a while, I'll say Moses for some reason. Noses. <laughs> I'd like to tell you that was on purpose. 52 years old. Noah was a righteous man. Noah was a righteous man, it says in verse 9, chapter 6. And he was righteous because of God's imputed righteousness in him. In Hebrews 11, it says that Noah put his faith in God. And because of that faith, it was counted unto him as righteousness. So Noah was righteous not because of his good deeds. He was righteous because he put his faith in Christ or in the seed that was to become Christ. And God took his wrath, the full wrath that Noah deserved, And Noah received Christ's righteousness. 
It also said that Noah was blameless in his generation. Verse 9. Blameless in his generation. He was completely above reproach. He had a good reputation amongst his contemporaries. And it says that he walked with God. That was last week's sermon. He walked with God. And that's the only way that Noah would have heard God's voice is walking with God. All of us say, you know, how do I know? How do I know if God is telling me to do this? How do I know if he's speaking to me? Walk with God. Spend time with the Lord. And that takes us to today's scripture in verse 13. We went over some of these last week, but we're going to go over them again. And it says in verse 13, And God said to Noah, and I'm not sure what to do with this, didn't really have time to unpack it, but God here is Elohim, and we're going to see the Lord, Yahweh, in a minute. And I just submit that to you for your own study to dig into that a little bit. It says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, God speaks to Noah directly. And Noah knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God. Have you ever heard the story about the Canadian Mounties and how they train their trainees to identify illegal currency, false currency? Have you heard that story? So what they do is they, you would think that you would have them look, they would study false currency, wouldn't you? They don't. What they do is they spend months and years studying the real thing. So that when a false currency shows up, counterfeit currency shows up, they know it's counterfeit because they've spent so much time studying the real thing. Noah walked with God so closely, spent so much time not just knowing about God, but really knowing God, so that when God spoke, Noah knew it was God. And he loves God so much, as it says in John, that we'll, they'll know that you're my children by your love. And he loved God, so he obeyed God. It goes in verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark is 450 feet. Its breadth or width is 75 feet. Its height, 45 feet. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. God not only told Noah To make the ark, he what? He told them how to make the ark. God is not going to tell us to do something without giving us the strength to do it and the power of the Holy Spirit to understand how to do it. Not only told them to build the ark, but he told them the dimensions of the ark. Verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Covenant is a promise. And God promised here to save Noah, to save his wife, save his sons, save their wives. The greatest covenant that the planet's ever known, the greatest promise, was in 315 in Genesis. Proto-evangelism. After Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, God said that the seed, your seed, the woman's offspring, will come and eventually crush the serpent's head. So that covenant is continued in the life of Noah. If Noah had not been obedient and God had not made a covenant, I don't know how the seed would have continued. 
The Lord promised it, and it would have. But the covenant is, is that there will be a Messiah. There will be a coming one who will crush the serpent's head. You know, it says also that, that you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your son's wives with you. And parents, have you ever thought about this? There seems to be a correlation between the way that we raise our kids and how they turn out. And it says in Proverbs 22 that train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. And I've talked to a few of my brothers about this over the years. And I, we're not responsible for our kids' sin. But there's a lot of hope, isn't there, in knowing that if we raise them up in the fear and admission of the Lord, if we train them up in the ways of the Lord, that they're not going to depart from it. And I know some of you have had some wayward kids. You've had kids that have gone wayward. And you can take a lot of hope in that scripture that if you've raised your kids and and pointed them to the Lord and they know the truth, that eventually, by God's grace, they're going to come back to it. And I believe because of Noah's righteousness, the rest of the family was able to hop on board and therefore continue in the seed of the woman to bring forth the Messiah. Verse 19, And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you. Two of every kind of animal so they can procreate, so that they can uh, populate the earth with animals, the birds, the fish. I don't know if there's fish. Probably wouldn't fish. Fish were already in the water. Yeah, unless there's those fish like they have on the Dr. Seuss where they can walk it in on there. I don't think they have that. These instructions are now... Actually, let's go to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did this. Really what my version says, and Noah did this, and he did some of the things. He did some of the things that weren't really uncomfortable. Didn't he? Let me read it again. Noah did this, and he did the things that he really wanted to do. Noah did this, and he did things that really didn't have any risk. Noah did this, and he did most all that God commanded him. Noah said, Noah did this, and he did what? All that God commanded him. All that God commanded him. There was no questions asked. This is so convicting to me. Because I'll wrestle with the Lord. God, are you sure? Are you sure? Now, God wants us to have honest dialogue with Him. He knows our heart. Mitch and Joey, remember we, when Mom and I went through uh, Growing Kids God's Way? Mitchell probably does. And it was, it was the first time that we were really learning to be parents. And this guy subscribed to first-time obedience. We used to kind of rationalize with our kids and you know, kind of warn them and warn them and warn them and warn them. You do it again, I'm going to slap you. Do it again, I'm going to slap you. Do it again, I'm going to slap you. Honey, would you slap them? We, so we started doing first-time obedience. And it is awesome because they know, first of all, that it's a safe environment. And if mom and dad are asking them to do something, it's for their benefit. They trust us. They believe us. There's been periods where you haven't trusted and believed us. But they trust us and believe us, and they and it's one time and it's first time obedience when they were younger. Still pretty much now. And this is what Noah did. God asked him to build the ark. He asked him to bring the animals on. 
And Noah did all that God commanded him. This is a practical element of walking with God. There's a progression here. It's obedience to obedience. Hear, believe, and obey. You gotta hear God's voice. And to hear God's voice, you gotta walk with Him. You gotta spend time with Him. And then you gotta believe His promises. You gotta believe that He's faithful, that He's trustworthy, that He's loving, He's gracious. He doesn't want to harm you. And then obey. In James 1.22, probably my favorite verse in the Bible. It says, but be doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word who delude themselves. God has called us to not just be information suckers. He has called us to be doers of the word. And I'm not talking about doing in the flesh, because we can all do a lot of doing in our own strength and our own flesh, can't we? Let's talk about understanding what God has called us to. And then through Christ Jesus, I can do all things. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. These instructions are a little bit different than what Noah just got. And God did not change his mind. He's... he's Basically, given Noah further instruction. And oftentimes, God will give us instruction. How many times have you read a verse in the Bible? And then you read it for the hundredth time. It's like, wow, I never knew it said that. So the more time we spend with God, the more we get to know his heart, the more we understand what he's saying. And what he's saying here is bring two or bring a pair of every type of unclean animal. And the purpose of that is so that they can, so they can multiply. Then he says, bring seven pairs of every clean animal. And we're going to see the reason why when they get off the ark. And it's for sacrifice and it's for worship. We see that in both Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So the reason that he didn't change his mind, he's now saying as, as Noah is obeying him, is that you're going to need some more animals. You're going to need some more animals to sacrifice so that you can worship me. And I think in, in, uh, when they get off the boat, we're going to talk more about that. Verse 4, for in seven days I will send rain on the earth. Forty days and forty nights it will rain. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. There's a lot in this little verse. There's a lot in it. We saw back in the first part of chapter 6 that he gave 120 years. He says in 120 years I'm going to blot out men from the face of the earth. 120 years. And we see in Hebrews 11, no we don't, we see it in Second Peter 3, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he not only built the ark, but he preached. He told people to repent. Now we see here seven days. It's crunch time. God says to Noah, get your family in the boat and strap it on because the deluge is coming. It's coming from the top and it's coming from the bottom. And also, I believe it's a sign of God's mercy. Where that door was open, as we're going to see until the last minute. Just like the thief on the cross. That door was open until the last minute. And it was give, and it was open for anybody that wanted to come on it. It wasn't just a boat for Noah, his wife, their three sons and their wives. It was a boat for anybody that wanted to get into it. And as we're going to see next week, this is the most, one of the most beautiful pictures in all of, all of God's Word. The ark is a type of Christ. There is salvation in no place but in Christ. 
only in Christ is there salvation. And there was only salvation on this ark in Genesis 6. And like Christ, it was open for everyone. And nobody repented. And that door got shut in, as we're going to see next week. It got shut in as the waters were rising. And nobody jumped in, except for Noah, his wife. So seven days, it's a sign of God's mercy. And then he tells Noah, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. You ever thought about the number 40 in God's word? It's associated with testing. It's associated with trials. Christ was, was in the, in the uh, uh, desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. 40 days. Moses, after he killed the Egyptian, was banished to the wilderness for 40 years. It was 40 years of trials. Now, 40 isn't always associated with, with discipline, but it's always, it's always associated with trials. The uh, Israelites, after not going into the promised land when they were supposed to go into the promised land, another 40 years of wandering. So I think what's going on here is God is preparing Noah that this 40 days on the boat, I've saved you, but it's not going to be a picnic. And Nancy told me this morning he was probably talking about seasickness. But there's going to be trials. Verse 5, and Noah did what? He did all that God commanded him. Verse 5, God did all. Even with the warning that there's going to be trials and that there's going to be a cost, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Unlike Adam. And we know that Noah is a second Adam. Adam didn't do all that the Lord commanded him. I love this quote from Martin Luther. uh, He says, I would rather obey than work miracles. I would rather obey than work miracles. Five bullet points on how do we know when he's telling us to do something. How do we know? One, get to know his voice by walking with him. Think the Canadian Mountie. Get to know his voice by walking with him. Two, God will never ask us to do something that contradicts Scripture. Over the years, I've heard somebody say, you know what? God just, God just has a better spouse for me. He told me to, to leave. Hogwash. God never tells us to do anything that contradicts Scripture. Three, there is wisdom in the counsel of many. I don't know that Noah sought counsel because, I mean, he just probably wasn't wise counsel to get. But if you need to make a decision, if you're trying to determine if it's God speaking to you to do something, there's wisdom in the counsel of many, it says in Proverbs. Four, put aside your perceived rights and agendas. You know what? Being believers is the greatest calling on planet Earth. Walking with the Lord and knowing that He has saved us and that we're not going to get any wrath at all, that we're getting an eternal life with Him where there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more mourning. And then to think that I've got that knowledge up here, but it doesn't make it to here. And I say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'd kind of like to stay at Winter Community Church. I really, Lord, please protect. Don't, don't, don't hurt my kids. God, don't take my money. Put aside perceived rights and agendas. And number five, like four, surrender your will to His. 
Christ did. Christ knew that he had to go to the cross. He knew that he left the Godhead to come down and walk as a man, a sinless life, and to go to the cross to take years of my sin. But he asked the Lord the day before he was crucified, he said, he said, he asked God the Father, remove this cup from me. Remove it from me. That's okay. But not my will be done, your will be done. The Evans family. I can't wait to hear the story, but I bet it's all full of where God leads, He provides. Where God leads, He provides. What a great example to their kids of stepping out in a place where, where they had no control. That their kids could see that the Lord is the one that sustains them ultimately. Mitch stepping out in obedience is, be, is becoming the leader that God has called him to be. He's learned perseverance. He's learning that he can only put his hope in his dreams in God and who the Lord is. Orly spoke to him a few weeks ago as he's just bawling on the phone. The Lord is nearer to him than he's ever been. Sometimes the Lord wants us to obey when there's going to be a trial on the other end. Because He wants to sanctify us. He wants us to be near Him. What's the one thing that the Lord wants you to obey Him in? What's that one thing? It, it could be just things in your home. Are you having a hard time, ladies, respecting your husband because he's not respectable? Or men, are you having a hard time loving your brides because they're not lovable? Do you know that's obedience? God's Word says... Guys, love your wives. Ladies, respect your husbands. Kids, are you having a hard time obeying your parents because they're mean? Are you having a hard time giving it your all at work because you're burnt out and you just rather not be there? I'm not saying that those emotions aren't real. We all have them. But until God calls you someplace different, it's a lot easier to do a job it's a lot easier to be in a neighborhood, have neighbors that are maybe unlike you when you're, when you're joyful. Is it giving more money to missionaries and to the church than you've ever thought possible? Is the Lord telling you to do something like that? Is the Lord telling you to let somebody move into your house? That you know is going to disrupt your lifestyle. Is there somebody the Lord has so clearly put in your life that is homeless or that is struggling and that feeling won't go away? Maybe I should invite a man or her in. Maybe I should invite a man or her in. But you go, no, that's going to mess up my TV time. That's going to mess up my family time. How about inviting messy neighbors over? This is what we're, we're uh, you know, I preach this a lot, but I don't do a very good job at it, is... Inviting people over that the Lord's put on my heart. He's clearly put them on my heart. Day after day, week after week. And I don't invite them over. Because I've got, I've got my own agenda. Here's the assignment. Ask the Lord, God, is there something that you're asking me to do that I'm not listening? Is there something that you're asking me to obey you on that I'm not listening. And would you show me? Maybe it's not loving your child. Maybe you've got a child that's different than another child and you're having a hard time loving him. 
Ask the Lord to give you strength to do that. Here's the exercise. It's the exact same one as last week. And that is, read Psalm 51, particularly verses 10 through 12. Let me read it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's it. It's gospel, cross-focused living. When you've got your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, it makes obedience a lot easier, doesn't it? It makes it a lot easier. The second verse is Joshua 5.14. It says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to God, And what does my Lord say to his servant? What do you say today, Lord? What do you have for me? Who do you want me to invest my time in? I'm not feeling like this job thing is either give me joy in this job or move me on. And one more thing that I meant to share last week and that I need to get off the stage. Has anybody read the book by Randy Alcorn, Safely Home? A few of you have. Isn't it a great book? And at their dinner table, I forget the guy's name, but at their dinner table, they have an empty chair at every meal. And it's a constant reminder that the Lord is there. It's a constant reminder that, that God is present, that God wants us to walk with Him, that He is wanting to speak to us and for us to listen. And there is blessing in obedience. By the way, I changed the title of the message. It's different. And the title is The Cost. At first it was, it was obedience and blessing. Now it's The Cost and Blessing of Obedience. Because there is always cost in obedience. And there's always blessing. Always blessing. It just may not look like the blessing that we think it is. And can you imagine if we were a church in Windsor, Colorado, where we are all walking around like this, in complete obedience to the Father, saying, God, what do you have for us? Where we don't have our own agenda, whether it be building a building on 15th Street, whether it be staying here another year, whether it be... I don't know what, but that we're walking around like this, just asking, Lord, where are you working? Where are you working? And would you tell me what it is you have for me to come alongside and that we joyfully obey? Let's pray. Father, we praise you. God, you are so good. Lord, I uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to walk with you as imperfect as that is in my life. God, I thank you for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. I thank you that you are long-suffering, that you are gracious, that you are strong to save. God, I can't imagine how Noah did it. He didn't have the word. He He had you and you spoke to him and he listened to you. God, I just pray that as, uh, as we think about Noah, that you would just, just uh, give us the strength to be obedient. Lord, we uh, thank you that you uh, call us to trust you and that you are worthy of being trusted, that you are, your character is perfect. And that when we do trust you and when we obey, that's where we find joy in Jesus.